We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings. We've made it into chapter 6. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, page 1116. Using that Bible under the seat in front of you. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time in your word. Thank you for giving us info on every possible scenario in life. Your word gives counsel for everything. I pray that we would take your counsel to heart. Pray that you'd bless this time, use it for your glory. And in the expansion of your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in chapter 5. And there Jesus gives his standards that he expects for us as his people. How we're to behave morally, how we're to interact with other people on a day-by-day basis. We've studied those very high standards. Moving into chapter 6, he moves to the disciplines that he expects of us. The duties that Jesus expects of his people. And more importantly, the motives. Why we do those things. So notice this morning what Jesus says about financial giving. Look what it says in verse 1, Matthew chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So four times the word, the phrase charitable deed is used in this passage and it speaks of charitable giving. Giving of finances to support the Lord's work. Israel was commanded to give those charitable gifts They were required to regularly give alms to the poor. There were certain times uh, during the year where they would take up a special collection for the poor, usually during the feast days, and they were required to all chip in. They were also expected to tithe 10% of their income and give offerings in support of the priesthood, the house of the Lord, synagogues, things like that. 
Making application to us today, it would speak of our financial gifts in support of the Lord's work. So giving money to Christian charities that feed the poor. Or that provide halfway houses. Supporting with your money Christian organizations and ministries. Supporting missionaries, mission organizations. Giving money to support the local church. That's what we're speaking of. And understand something, my brother and sister in Christ. We are all commanded to support the work of the Lord with our finances. It is our responsibility. In fact, it's interesting in verse 2, Jesus says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed. Did he say, therefore, if you do a charitable deed? Verse 3, when you do a charitable deed, not if. Jesus expects that of his people. Paul the Apostle asked churches to give financially in support of various causes for Christ. Paul accepted financial donations towards himself and his ministry, though he never required it and usually worked as a tent maker. The New Testament teaches that the full-time laborers in ministries, missionaries, pastors, people that work full-time in those things, should be fully supported financially by the church. So understand, we are all to be consistent, disciplined, financial supporters of the work of the Lord. That's what Jesus expects. Now I am asked often, Pastor, how much should I be given? Do we still tithe in the New Testament? And if so, does that mean I give 10% of gross or net? I don't think the New Testament is dogmatic on tithing, but I personally believe that would be a good start And as far as 10% of what, I'll let God deal with you on that. The definitive passage in the New Testament on giving, though, is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, where Paul says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you were, at, if you were to ask Paul what you should give to the Lord's work, he would, he would answer, well, that depends. How much do you want to reap? If you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, you'll reap Bountifully. And the real idea here is God loves a cheerful giver. You should never give grudgingly or out of compulsion. Between you and the Lord, you come up with a number and you do it consistently and you do it cheerfully. Very important. Now there's a stat that I'm going to share with you this morning that almost serves as a law when it comes to charitable giving among Christians. 
in the American church. This has been well established through years and years and years of surveys and data analysis. You ready for this stat? 30% of the members of the church carry 80% of the financial load of the church. So if you have a church of 100 people, 30 people carry 80%. 70 people carry 20%. That's how it works. And that is the national average. I have actually spoken to pastors of big churches, small churches, who have years of record and history on that, and they found that to be true. And I'll just tell you from my heart, over 25 years... No matter how big we've ever been, whether we're small or larger, it's basically been 80-30. Now, I want to tell you, I have no idea who gives what. I have no idea. And I stayed away from that and was caught, you know, counseled to stay away from that. I mean, I know the numbers, I know the trends, but I don't know the details. Because I don't want to have any temptation to treat anybody different based on what they give to this church. And there have been a few over the years that have tried to manipulate me. Pastor, do you know how much I give to this church? What a delight to be able to say, no, I have no idea what you give to this church. No idea. But we found that statistic to ring true. Now, please understand, uh, this is just for your information. I am not meaning to put a guilt trip on anyone. I wouldn't want to pressure anyone. I do not like when churches beg for money. When I grew up going churches, I went to different churches And there were so many churches that all they ever did was talk about money. Just begging for it. And I used to think, is God broke? (laughs) And I remember even thinking to myself as a kid, if I ever become a pastor, I won't do that. And you know how incredibly low-key we are here. We do not stress it. So I'm not, that's just for information. I'm not wanting to put any guilt trips. And also, by the way, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. The Lord abundantly provides for this church. It's amazing what God does. And, you know, if you think about if that stat holds true throughout the universal church, the Lord still does amazing things through that. Think of all the hospitals and and charities and things that the church has put up worldwide because people give. So it's not to complain. But it would be to challenge. <clears throat> what would happen if everyone gave more? What would happen? In 1983, U.S. church goers donated $21.5 billion dollars. If churchgoers had donated 10% of their income, they would have given $134 billion. Mike Holmes did a study recent, and he said if 
all Christians started giving a minimum of 10%, $165 billion would become available to the church. Suggestions for how that could be used. $25 billion could relieve global hunger and eliminate deaths from preventable disease within five years. $15 billion could solve the, waters, the world's water and sanitation issues. $12 billion could end illiteracy. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work. $100 to $110 billion would be left over for additional ministry expansion. In the kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. You know, there was a time in this country where the church carried the heavy load of charity and helping people. You know what's kind of happened with Americans over time? We give our tithes in the form of taxes to the government and let them take care of the poor and needy. Wouldn't it be much better if the church was in charge of that? So I just want to challenge you. No guilt. You don't have a pastor complaining. But I'd like to challenge you. All of us. Be consistent, faithful givers, funders of the Lord's work on planet Earth. But look at the warning. Look at the warning that Jesus gives here in verse 1. He says, take heed. Beware of something. Pay close attention to something, Jesus says. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. So here Jesus says, yeah, we need to be givers, but he always looks at the heart. He always pulls the hood up. What is your motivation? What are you thinking of when you give? And Jesus says, do not give money in order to be seen. Now, I do not think that Jesus is saying that nobody can know anything about our financial giving, that uh, you have to give completely, totally, anonymously. I think if you can take advantage of tax laws, you should. The idea is, don't give in order to be seen, in order to be recognized. In order to be admired. In order to have glory come to you. Don't give... In a way that people see so they can applaud you. Don't give for the applause of man. By the way, that, that is a general principle in all of our responsibilities as Christians. Never serve Christ to bring glory to yourself. Don't ever act religious or pious in any way, shape, or form in order to get men to look at you and go, wow. Never draw attention to yourself. Now, some are confused with something that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 
verse 16. In Matthew 5, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There he says, show your good works. Well, what's he saying there? There he's talking about your witness in front of the world. You're to shine in this dark world. And you're to show and do good works before this world. Not that you get the glory, but who gets the glory? Your Father in heaven. In that case, yes, show. But never show pious activity in order to gain applause from men. Someone said it brilliantly. When you're tempted to hide your Christianity, that's when you should show it. When you're tempted to show your Christianity, that's exactly when you should hide it. Very important. So, Jesus specifically here is talking about our giving. Don't ever give to be seen by man. And he gives some examples. He gives a real bad example there in verse 2. When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There would have been no doubt to who Jesus was speaking about when he gave the sermon. He was speaking about the religious elite in his day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. They loved to be applauded for their piety. They loved the attention. And they loved to show how much they would give financially. Jesus says, don't sound trumpets. Did these guys actually sound trumpets as they were giving? Probably not, but but what does Jesus mean by this? Well, there are a few suggestions. I, I, I mentioned those specific times during the year when they would take formal collections for the poor. A lot of times the signal was the blowing of a trumpet. And that meant everyone gather, everyone pitch in, and the scribes and the Pharisees would, would do it ostentatiously. Look how, and you'd say, did you see how much rabbi so-and-so gave they made it abundantly clear some say that Jesus was speaking uh, of the trumpet shaped collection boxes boxes that they used in the temple and in the synagogues you know they had agape boxes in the temples and the synagogues metal boxes with an opening that was like a trumpet Now imagine what that sounds like when you drop coins in. Some of the rabbis, I can see them, they come with their big bags. Clank, 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 clank. Did you hear how much rabbi so-and-so gave? And of course the rabbi would... And just bask in that admiration. Trying to make a real clang. What if we put like a little system in our wooden agape box... Sirens went off. (laughs) If somebody gave so much. Or Jesus may have been speaking metaphorically. We even speak metaphorically like this. 
toot your own horn. Don't blow a trumpet and attract attention to yourself. Jesus called those guys hypocrites. Hypocrites. They had turned you know, worship into showmanship. Passion into performance. Pretending to be all generous when really all they wanted was the attention. They did it exactly to be seen by men. It's interesting in in verse 1, don't do it before men to be seen by them. The Greek word is theothenai. We get our word theater, theatrical. It was all theater. Yeah, don't give that way. Don't give with wanting attention or accolades. By the way, there's a lot of people in the world that that's why they give. I read that in in the Roman and Greek culture in that day, very few people gave to charity. They didn't care about poor people. The wealthiest did give to charity a lot, only to increase their popularity. Their status. You know, I think of the people that make a real public display of their giving, like a Ted Turner who gives $1 billion to the United Nations, has a big press conference. And they give him a a little certificate. Or a Bill Gates who gives a big contribution. Or maybe that person that gets up on TV with the big check. Look what I've given. Henry Ward Beecher said, do not give as many rich men do, like a hen that lays her eggs and then cackles. Don't draw any attention. I think of sometimes where maybe people give a big, large sum to a a Christian church or, you know, a building program or something and and say, you got to name a wing after me. You got to give me a statue. Give me a little certificate. Give me recognition. I'm troubled by some church Christianity fundraising efforts, high pressure. Can we bring forward Mr. So and so who gave all this? Look at Mr. So and so. We all need to give like Mr. So and so. Jesus says here, and this is, this is crucial. He says, if you give like that, if you give for the applause of man, that's your reward. And that's it. Nothing more. And when he says you have your reward, it's a technical term in the Greek, apecho, which means... To receive a sum in full and given a receipt for it. Jesus says if you give with that motivation and you receive those accolades, you have been paid in full. There will be no more reward for you. Not from God, not in heaven. 
One person said, people who give this way are not giving, they're buying the praise of men, which is all they'll have. And they can expect nothing more from God. Wouldn't that be tragic? To have been given a lot of, of money, but, but trying to do it to, to increase your esteem and to get your little statue. And, and you get to heaven and the rewards are being handed out. And here it comes here, but no reward for you. That name on that brick down on planet Earth, that's your reward. That certificate, that statue. Don't you think the rewards in heaven are going to be greater? The good example, Jesus says in verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Jesus says, keep it secret. Greek word kryptos. We get our English word encrypted. Keep it private. Just between you and God. Just between you and the Lord. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's almost like Jesus says, when you give, keep it even concealed from yourself. Don't give in a way where you're like, Man, I'm a great giver. Don't be self-congratulatory. Someone said, giving should be kept very private, even to the point of forgetting about it yourself, so that you won't think too highly of yourself for giving. That's incredible. That's how it should be. Jesus said that people who give in secret, the father, number one, sees. The father sees, and he's the only one that matters, right? And the father will reward you. The father rewards. Now, I want to be careful with this concept because this concept has been abused a lot. Don't give to get the reward. That shouldn't motivate you. Beware of the swindlers out there that turn this into a kind of a fleshly game of investment. Give your seed money of faith. Give your $100 on Sunday morning And God owes you $1,000 on Monday. No, don't play that game. Don't play that game. Just give. Give because you love God. Give because you love people. Give because you want God glorified. He will reward you. You can never outgive God. He won't always reward you in ways that you expect. That's what I mean. Don't put God in a box there. 
You know, sometimes I think one of the best rewards we have as Christians is knowing that somebody in a whole lot of trouble was helped by you. As you generously gave. You know, I think when we live to please and glorify God, that in itself brings reward as a consequence. Now, the Lord, I do believe, takes care of all of our needs, watches over us. And I believe that the more generous we are, the more he gives. I mean, if you walk around in life with a closed fist, nothing comes in, nothing goes out. But if you walk around in life with an open hand, you're giving, God is pouring in. More goes in, more goes out. Keep it between you and the Lord. You know, it's an amazing thing what, what, what God can do through just humble acts of giving that nobody knows about. We would never have heard of that little boy who gave his fish and loaves. You remember that story? But, but there he is in the, in the gospel. This little kid with a lunchbox gave it to Jesus. And look what Jesus did with that. On a cold November night in 2012, Officer Larry DePrimo was on duty in Times Square. The New York policeman saw an older, barefoot, homeless man. A few bystanders were laughing at the guy. DePrimo said it was so cold, he himself wore two pairs of socks and his feet were frozen. When the officer asked the homeless man... If he had anything to use to cover his feet, he replied, It's okay, sir. I've never had a pair of shoes, but God bless you. DePrimo asked the man his shoe size, then walked into a nearby Skechers. He bought the man a new pair of boots, the warmest shoes they had. He paid $100. And here's the deal. Larry DePrimo's deed would have never been noticed had it not been for an Arizona tourist. Jennifer Foster said later, the officer wanted nothing in return, and, I didn't, and he didn't know I was watching. Jennifer had grabbed her phone and snapped a photo. The next day, she posted it on the NYPD's Facebook page. Within two days, 614,000 likes, 48,000 comments, turned Officer Lawrence DePrimo, who wasn't looking for it, into a hero. And inspired thousands. You can go find that picture today. It's still there. Thousands and thousands of hits and comments. Now what if the officer had staged that? Had wanted that? Ah, that would have lost all of its velocity. This was just a guy who was humbly giving... It's a type of selflessness and humility that's infused with power. This is how it should be in all of our charitable deeds. In all of our giving. For his glory. Because we love him.
And because we have a generous God, do we not? So think through that area in your life, my brother and sister in Christ. Giving and why. Think through that. I would like to close by reminding all of us how generous God is. He gives us all good things, doesn't he? There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 that blows me away. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Very strong language. He who was as rich as rich could be became as poor as poor could be so that those who were as poor as poor could be could become as rich as rich could be. Wow. Father, give us that type of generosity. You've been so gracious to us. You've poured out so many blessings. so grateful to know you. Your love, your grace, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies you bestowed upon us. I pray, Lord, that we would in turn be generous. We would give uh, to those important works here and around the world as your gospel goes out. You saved us and we want to pour into efforts by which others get saved. For your glory. Maybe you're here this morning And just with a few quiet moments here, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, God really is a God of grace and generosity. And he really does love. So much so that he did give his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that we're sinful. All of us. And our sin separates us from God who's holy. But God in his grace and love provided his son. Who took your sins. Died for them in your place. Rose again the third day. If you place your faith and trust in him. You'll become a child in his family. A citizen of his kingdom. If you've never received him. I want you to. Pray this prayer. Just ask to cry out uh, for salvation. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm poor. I'm bankrupt spiritually. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Rising again. Wash away all my sins. I want to be a part of your kingdom, your family. 
change me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you. Thank you, Lord.